Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Progeny Podcast. Today, my guest is Nazmina Danji, the founder of Arabic Online. She is a busy, multitasking mother of four children. She's a polyglot who speaks seven languages and Arabic is her favorite. Nazmina enjoys swimming and cycling in her spare time. She is also the author of 50 Quranic Comforts for Mums and a published translator of many works from Arabic to English. Nazmina, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you for joining us Thank today. Thank you for having me. Um, let's start off with the seven languages. Wow. What are the seven <laughs> languages that you, that you know? So, Gujarati. Okay. Uh, Urdu, English, obviously. Obviously. French, Spanish, uh, Farsi, and Arabic. Arabic. And why is Arabic your favorite? Arabic is just really rich and really deep, really beautiful. Obviously, the language of the Quran, but... I think having studying, studied it at, at a deeper level than I have, maybe any of the other languages, mm-hmm. having studied its literature and everything, it's... Uh, so Kujarati like and, Ur- and Urdu maybe because of your... I can I can read Urdu. Okay. Um, and understand. Gujarati is my first language. So okay. I can read and write Gujarati. Um, but I haven't really kind of delved into literature and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, with Arabic you have. With Arabic I have. And when did the interest start in... In Arabic? Uh, I'd say when I was about 17, I went, I actually went on a trip to Iran. And there, you know, as like this thirsty teenager who just wanted to learn everything about Islam, um, you know, I'd hear, first of all, I'd hear ayat of the Quran, and that's something that's always frustrated me, that I'd hear recitations and I couldn't understand. Okay. Um, so that bugged me. And then we went to Ansarian Bookshop. Obviously, I wanted to buy every book under the sun. You know, there were English Islamic books. And at that time, there weren't that many here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going back like many, many years. Um, and when I read them, the translations frustrated me. You know, the poor English, yeah, poor translations. And I just wanted to read the original. You know, we'd go visit these scholars and they spoke in Arabic or Farsi. And again, you know, you had to be at the mercy of translators. And I was sure that they were losing stuff in translation. <laughs> Um, and I came back and I was like, that's it. I have to do a degree. In, in f- first of all, I wanted to do Farsi and Islamic architecture. Again, I'd go visit mosques and see like the inscriptions and the writing and be like, I don't, I can't read it. I can't understand it. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do Farsi and architecture. And then I was advised that it'd be better to do Arabic because Farsi is very easy to, to pick up. So you learned Farsi art after Arabic? I learned Farsi after Arabic. Okay. So I did, I did a degree in Arabic. Mashallah. And then I traveled. To Dam- I lived in Damascus for a year, um, traveled to Lebanon, Iraq, Jordan to practice. To practice Arabic. Yeah, but my, my spoken's a whole mishmash. It's yeah, because, of everything. Yeah, because <laughs> the, the difficult, like <clears throat> uh, when you go maybe to, to, to Iraq or maybe to Syria, they're very similar, maybe the dialect. But then maybe if you go towards North Africa, it's yeah. very different. And then maybe towards... Saudi and Yemen, yeah. they're also very different. So, so right. <laughs> I mean, even between Iraq and Syria, I remember, so Syria was the first dialect I picked up. And, you know, going from, you know, Kifik ya albi mniha, you know, it'd be like, shlonich, you know, shlonich galbi. Very different. Very different. So how long was that for, you know, residing uh, in the Middle East? So da- Damascus was a year and then... <clears throat> And then it was Iran for a few years, so six to eight years. But then a lot of my friends were Iraqi, so I picked up Iraqi there. Okay. And then Iraqi is is the easiest to pick up, I guess. Or, no, or, or, uh, or is it? 
<laughs> so Some, <different>. somehow. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you 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 were fascinated. I'm, I'm guessing by by you know the fact that you 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 read these translations and they're they're awful. You know, a, a lot of them till today, sadly, are when they translate some of the books. Uh, and this is not just one specific publisher, but generally, I yeah, realize that the, yeah. the, the, the Arabic text, when it's translated into English, it's, it loses its. Mm. And even with the Quran, sometimes. Yeah. You know, and I, I so mainly the Quran, actually. That was the main thing. You know, Alhamdulillah, you know, our teachers, when we were growing up in, you know, the Saturday and Sunday schools, they trained us to, you know, when we recite the Quran to read with translation. So we did, but I remember just feeling like it was just Shakespeare. Like, I, I don't get it, mm. you know. It didn't really impact me. I didn't see the beauty. So I I did feel a lot of frustration growing up that the English just didn't do justice. You came back here and you started uh, online work. Or is the online recent? Were you teaching at the beginning? So or? Yeah, so I've been teaching for a few years, um, mainly in classrooms, mm-hmm. um, teaching Quranic Arabic mainly. Um, and then online happened just at the start of the pandemic, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I decided to take classes online um, and tailor it to busy women. So most of my students that I'd been teaching Quranic Arabic to had been busy sisters um and often you know they they'd be so eager to learn quranic arabic they'd put so much effort in but you know life happens they'd have house moves and they'd have babies and they'd have you know bereavements in the family and people would get behind then you know they'd feel the pressure of catching up and so online made it really good because you could have recordings and people could catch up with the recordings mm-hmm. um and so that's why i thought it'd be a good idea to have kind of self-paced courses that they could do in their own time, fit into their busy lives and still learn Arabic. Um, What's the difference between, you use the term Quranic Arabic, why do you use, and it's not Arabic, what's the difference between Arabic and Quranic Arabic for the listeners? So generally the Arabic you learn at university, institutes, different places is what's known as MSA, Modern Standard Arabic. Mm Which is which grammatically, technically, is the same. It's the same grammar rule, same fusha, right? Okay. Fusha is, is what you learn. Yeah. Um, the only thing is, when you go and learn at institutes, often the vocab they'll use is the vocab about describing your house and the United Nations and going out and ordering food in a restaurant and all of that. And I feel like for the purposes of our communities here, where you don't need to do those things, yeah. right? You don't really get to use that kind of Arabic. Even if you go for Umrah or you go for Ziara and stuff, people speak English. Everyone speaks English, yeah. yeah. So, so you don't use the Arabic you, at all. If you need to, you just get a phrase book or, you mm. know, learn it for that purpose. Mm-hmm. But generally, if our goal is Quran, I wanted to tailor a course where I'm teaching Fusha, but l- just Quranic vocabulary. So they get to their goal faster. They're not kind of taking a roundabout Root. Makes they sense. don't need to learn everything, mm-hmm. you know. So that's why I call it Quranic Arabic. And also there are differences, you know, just, just in some of the style, um, you know, some some of the some of the verbs, for example, where you'll use one in, in you know, standard Arabic and you'll use another in, you, in Quranic. You said it's designed for, for mums. Um, so if we've got listeners, uh, mums listening to this, and they they probably are non Arabs, for example, and they're reading the Quran, and you know they they probably have to read the translation to understand. 
what would you say to them? What would how would they benefit if they joined this course? So it's not I wouldn't say it's tailored to mums necessarily, but just busy women. Right? Okay. They don't have to be mothers. Okay. Um and I have teenagers in my class and I also have grandmas and Okay, my son. Um I'd say that the benefit is that they are able to read as understand as they're reading. They don't have to rely on translations. Mm-hmm. And you know, when even when when your children ask you, you know, we teach them, you know, all the surah in Juz Amma, you know, Surah Al Asr, Surah Al Kawthar, and they're obviously inquisitive. They ask us the meanings of things, and and to be able to explain to them on the go as they're reciting without having to open and you know and read the translation, which they don't get, but having that understanding as you read is just phenomenal. And obviously, so much of the meaning is actually lost in translation. When mm-hmm. you read it directly in the Arabic, it's a completely different effect. Like, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. I was just going to say, can you <laughs> give us an example? Have, I'll give you an example. So a classic one is you read ayat about parents in the Quran, mm-hmm. right? You read the translation, it's parents, 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 right? So whether you're asking forgiveness for your parents or your, you know, all the ayat about inheritance, mm-hmm. all right? Or um, when it's describing the parents of certain people. Mm-hmm. So in English, we read parents. In mm-hmm. Arabic, there's two words. It uses walidain mm-hmm. and abawain, mm-hmm. right? And the Quran makes a distinction. But you think to yourself, when I read in English, there's no distinction. It's the same. But clearly, word. Allah chose that word for a reason. Mm-hmm. Why does he use walidain? Why does he use abawain where he uses abawain? Why walidain when he uses walidain? Like there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And you look at the context and you see that they're very different. Walidain comes from the root walida, which is to give birth. Birth. The walid doesn't give birth. It's the walida who gives birth, right? It's the Mm. mother who gives gives birth. birth. And he's called walid because he's her counterpart, right? So when you look at all the ayahs where, where, all the ayat where walidain is used, you see that that all the ayat to do with rahmah, all the ayat to do with maghfirah, all the ayat to do with lowering our wing of humility. Yeah, for our walidain. So, Anything that, you know, they become deserving of rahmah, maghfirah, dua is because of her, right? Because the fact the that she gave birth makes them both deserving of that. Yeah. You look at Abawain and it's instances of authority, inheritance, the family. So it's like Walidain is mother and father. Abawain is father, father and, mother, and mother, right? Yeah. Ab. To do with that, you know, the patriarchal system of the family, mm-hmm. you know, anything where it's matter of fact, it's Abawain. Anything to do with du'as, it's walidin. But you read the English and it's just parents. There's no distinction made. Father and mother, mother and father. I'm sure there's so many examples like this. There's so many examples. And I try to include them all within the course. So it's not just that they're learning nahu and sarf and and that. But I include these examples within the course so they understand how beautiful the Qur'an is and how much is lost in translation. So can anyone join this course? Do you have to be at a certain level? Do you have to read at least Arabic to join this yeah. course? What if someone literally can't, doesn't even know the alphabet of the Arabic? Is that more so, difficult maybe to join this course? Yeah, so the the only prerequisite is that they can read. Okay. It does, even if they read slowly, their reading actually improves because now they're understanding. So they're, they're familiar reading. with the letters basically yeah. and they, they can yeah. read the words. Inshallah, I hope to create a course where I teach them from Alif Bar. Okay. But that's inshallah on my one day list. Inshallah. <laughs> uh, the, the one day list. And talking of, of, you know, making that list, subhanallah, you have four children. 
and it must be really difficult, you know, doing this course and, and, and multitasking between your kids and and this course and other things that you do. So how how do you how do you manage your time with your kids and with this course? So, um <laughs> it's 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 challenging, definitely. Um I have to have my priorities in order. So my kids are my priority. Right? So they come first. And the like, age is from from 18 all the way to one and a half. Mashallah. So the one and a half year old takes up all my time at the moment. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so while she's awake, I don't get anything done. That While she's awake, there's stuff going around in my head and then I'll quickly jot down an idea and things like that. And then I start work at half seven when she's asleep. So I, you know, I work after she's asleep. I work while she naps or early in the morning and then weekends when my husband has her. So I think it takes, you know, pitching in from the family. The older ones help look after her and okay. things like that. So, but family comes first. Of you course. know, they are the priority, and then I, I kind of work around around that. Alhamdulillah. It's glad that your husband's helped you as well. Alhamdulillah. As well I, as I could your... not do it without that kind of support. Yeah, they usually say, you know, get your sleep when the, especially the baby sleeps. When the baby sleeps. <laughs> yeah. So you just said, no, when the baby sleeps, you that's when I do my work. <laughs> yeah. So that must be really, really difficult. Um, what's what's the what's the passion maybe you know you continuing doing this because i know you've been teaching arabic for a long time yeah um if i'm not over 10 years maybe if i'm not yeah. mistaken correct yeah definitely. so you know what keeps you motivated to keep going on and to teach arabic you know i th there's many things actually first of all i see a gap mm -hmm. i see that you know in our communities the focus on learning arabic isn't there that much um, and I do feel that it's it's a language that we need to learn. You know, there's a reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Quran in Arabic. And when I see, especially when I see people in the revert community, you know, people who've just converted and they have this thirst for learning. And there's so many people who weren't born Muslim or they weren't even born into, you know, kind of southeast asian backgrounds where the script is similar mm -hmm. right or the farsi any of that they haven't grown up reading and yet in adulthood they take such pains to learn arabic and be able to read it in the language allah revealed it and they excel and i think to myself really we have no excuse you know there's to at least strive to do that mm -hmm. you know and you feel a lot closer to the quran when you do that and so for me, I want, Allah's given me a talent. Alhamdulillah, I have a talent for languages. And, you know, Alhamdulillah, he's given me a talent to be able to simplify the complex. You know, I, I understand Nahu Sarfi Arab and the, the challenge is how to simplify it. But I feel like I have to do something with that. You know, I have to share it with others and I have to simplify it for my sisters um, as best as I can. And while there is life and while there is energy, um, so yeah it's never too late to learn arabic um i'm sure you you've got ages you know as you said like you have grandmothers but for parents maybe with with children should they focus on arabic on their children from a young age do you like for example teach your children from a young age arabic and what's your advice to to parents and their children because sometimes you feel that you're taking them to madrasa on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, and you think that's enough, mm. and then by the time they're sixteen or eighteen, you realize, I don't know, I don't know, obviously how all madrasas work. But I'm talking about maybe from where I come from, and our community. 
um, by the time they reach 16, 17, 18, they, and you ask them to read Quran, they can read it, but ask them to try uh, to you know explain what they're reading, they can't. Yeah. So what should parents be doing? I think it's I think it's really important to lay that foundation from when they're young. At least if we're teaching them the recitation, they should know what it means. Mm. Um, so even if it's not through the Arabic language, they should be learning what the meaning of you know the short suwar are and things like that. But alhamdulillah, there's actually no shortage of resources now. When I was bringing up my older ones, you know, there weren't that many bilingual resources. There weren't, you know, storybooks for children and all of that. But right now, there's a huge amount available out there um, that makes it fun for them to learn. Um, so I've, I've taught my three older ones when they were younger. Now they don't have that much of an interest in it as teenagers, but I know it's in there somewhere. Okay, um, They were never interested in speaking it. Um, so I couldn't force that upon them. Even when I spoke to them in Arabic, when we, when we were in Iran... One of them went to um, an Arabic-speaking school and I'd speak to him in Arabic and he'd be like, no, don't speak to me in that language. You don't sound like my mummy. <laughs> you know, he just didn't like it. And so, you know, I could never get the spoken off the ground with them. Yeah. Um, but I know the I know the meanings are in there somewhere. I've taught them everything else. But yeah, I think I think when they have a foundation, it's very helpful to them even later on. You know, when, when you think about ad'iyah, that, you know, they, they listen to du'as and stuff, and there's a different sweetness when they have the meanings of that inside their hearts, you know, when they when they understand what they're saying, rather than, you know, the, what, what they read in a book isn't going to stick, or what they see on the, you know, on the projector, but when they know the meaning, it's in their darkest moments, that comes to their mind, you know, they, they know how to call out. It sometimes does... Um... I shouldn't say frustrate, but sometimes, you know, um, gets me thinking that we've, uh, again, not everyone, but sometimes um, we'll, we'll, we'll have like certain a'mal, like certain du'as or supplications that we recite during Thursday nights, for example, du'a Kumail, or during the nights of Qadr, we're coming up to Shah Ramadan soon. The many du'as that we have during Shah Ramadan. And it amazes me to see that sometimes, when I say this, I've said this before That we'll have like a checklist That we want to make sure we do that We're going to do Dua of Tatah And then Dua of Hamza And then Dua of Tawbah And then this And Munajat and, and so on and so forth And it's just about Getting them done Rather than And then Again Most Or I'll say some Centers If you ask the majority of the people Inside To explain what they've read They'll probably pick up one or A few sentences If that From the Dua how do you, do you do you get that same sort of I wouldn't say frustration I shouldn't use that word but same sort of amazement or do you question why we do these without understanding or without even explaining the du'as rather than we just want to get through that list between Maghrib time and Fajr yeah. time? No, definitely. There's there's I really feel like there's a disconnect there somewhere, you know, and I feel like these were recommended to us in various hadith that were handed out handed down from Imam al-Baqir al-Islam or earlier all mm. the way down by different a'imma and maybe to different companions and then we just pile them all into you know one night like this is the whole list of what we're supposed to do but you know I feel like if we understood even one of those things you know he's Rabbul Alameen like I mean even if we called him in English in our own words 
something that was from the heart that we understood, I feel like that's a way more impactful than reciting a whole load of stuff that we never even understood, never touched the heart. Mm. You know, I feel like if the purpose of those nights is ihya, like ihya al-qulub, then... Revive the hearts. Did we did we do that? Mm. You know, was it, like you said, a checklist? So I think, un, you know, reciting, obviously, by all means, but yeah. reciting with understanding is so, so important, at least to know what we're asking for, you know? Yeah, I, I mean... I am not, I'm not, I don't mean it in a bad way, you know, the checklist thing. Yeah. You know, because I'm sure, you know, these amal, obviously, even if you don't understand, they still have some sort of benefit to you. The fact that you're maybe doing it, especially those, you know, that we've missed out the last two years because we haven't done it as a community. Yeah. Just doing that in a congregation and reading mm. the du'as, I'm sure it's, it's impactful. But I, again, I say, you know, these du'as, which we'll probably only recite on that particular night the whole year. Maybe it doesn't have to be that night that we explain it, but maybe throughout the year, yeah. why not explain that particular dua like Abu Hamza? And I'm sure there are courses like Sirius is done by lectures by many speakers and scholars on this. But I feel, again, we, 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 the essence of that dua is missed out. Yeah. And that's what... Um, sometimes, you know, I, I, want, I want more, you know, I, I, as, as a community member... I want our communities to improve. And that's why I mentioned this. Otherwise, yeah. you know, I don't mean to. No, so the same, I feel the same. And that's why even within the course, I've got, you know, the Quranic Arabic structure, but I've got like, you know, bonus lessons on ad'iyah. So extracts from Dua Josh Al-Kabir, nice. um, extracts from Munajat Imam Ali and things like that interspersed so they can actually see it come alive. Like, you know, Fa'il and Maf'ul when he talks about, you know, Antarazaq and Al-Marzuq, you know, all of that. They, they see it come alive, mm -hmm. you know. Coming back to the Quran, do you, do you feel again <laughs> as a because a lot of the Quran reciters that I know, and there's only a few, there's it's a handful of Quran reciters that I know here, as in professional Quran reciters that they have always. And recently, I had a conversation with one of them. I won't mention his name, and he he you know he said I feel frustrated. We as a uh, you know as a, as, a, as a Muslim Shia community, we've neglected the Quran. Uh, and we've sort of put the Quran as, for example, in our homes as barakah. So we'll have it, we'll have the actual Quran as, as, as a blessing. And even when we recite it, the center is just as barakah, blessing. You know, let's get the program started, let's do Quran. But it's not sort of the main sort of event. When these are the words of Allah. Um, and he was really, 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 you know, speaking passionately about, you know, his frustration with regards to the community neglecting the Quran. How do you see it as someone who actually teaches Arabic Quran or Quranic Arabic, sorry? Um, do you feel that the Quran is maybe neglected in a way? I do. I do feel that. I feel that the efforts are there, you know, in endearing people to the Quran. You know, people, you know, there's the Quran competitions and there's, you know, the focus on reciting beautifully and tajweed lessons and things like that. But yes, I do feel that sometimes it's relegated to just a ceremonial thing, the recitation of the Qur'an, and we don't kind of the focus on the Qur'an as huda, right? That it's a guide for us. It's, it's an instruction manual for our lives. Or that, you know, it's shifa'ul lima fi sudur, that, you know, it's something that people should be encouraged to open on a daily basis to, to you know, get guidance for everything that's bothering them. You know, and maybe we've not been taught how to access it. Now, you know, things like Quran journaling are becoming more and more popular. 
you know, of people, you know, opening, reflecting on just one ayah and, and, you know, deriving meaning from it. So things like that are really beneficial. Alhamdulillah, the fact that they're coming to the forefront, you know, that people are giving more value to doing tadabbur to reflect on one ayah than, you know, finishing a page or finishing a surah or doing a juz a day or whatever it is. So that's a really beneficial thing that people are understanding. But at the same time, um, I really feel like there needs to be a conscious personal effort, you know, to, to make the Quran part of our lives. And it can't be something like, you know, I read an ayah on Instagram and that's, you know. It's, and I shared it. Yeah, and I shared it. It's not, it's not that, you know. It's got to be seen. We, our attitude towards it has to change. That it's, a, it's my instruction manual for my life. And I need to read it on a daily basis. You know, someone that teaches Quranic Arabic and you know seven languages. Uh, sometimes we hear, you know, or oh, I've heard that Farsi is such a poetic language, or Urdu, you know, is, is such a beautiful language, or or French is this is the is another. Why do you, you know? Could the Quran have been revealed in a different language? The fact that you you know you know all these languages, or why Arabic? What makes Arabic unique and different to all these other languages? So when I've 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 looked into this properly, and you know, you obviously you've got the people who say <coughs> that the Quran's in Arabic because the messenger was in Arabic, in, okay. an Arab, right? Yeah. <coughs> Allah says in the Quran, um, you know, was it? Uh, I've forgotten the exact um, ayah, but you know, Rasulun Arabiun and and Kitab Ajmil. And the fact that it was revealed in Arabia, but there's more than that. It's there's more to it, you mm. know. For the fact that it's a it's a linguistic miracle that has to outlast centuries, right? To have a language that's rich enough to contain that message and not, you know, and not be prone to so much change. Number one. Number two, when you actually look at all the linguistic devices, so linguistic devices that exist in all languages, right? You have rhythm, rhyme, alliteration, assonance, chiasmus, um, irony, lots and lots of different technical things and linguistic devices that, by which people would measure, for example, standards by which you me measure how the depth of a language or how it's able to express things. Right, so Shakespeare had this. You know, all all the languages have their own things. When you look at the Quran, it's packed with these literary devices. Literally packed with them. Every de literary device you can think of for people who study literature, onomatopoeia, alliteration, all of it. It's got all of it within it. But we never study it as a literary text the way we do English literature at school. But if we did. We'd understand why Allah revealed it in Arabic because Arabic is just so rich at capturing this. The fact that it's so multifaceted and one word can have so many different shades of meaning, that there can be so many synonyms, right? You look at, I mean, it's it's amazing. Even even when Allah talks about this a story, the story of Prophet Musa in the Quran, for example, you know the way he uses language to kind of build up momentum or to, to kind of build up a scene, right? The way you do in theatrics, but we don't see that in English, you know? The way he talks about Prophet Musa's fear and the way he talks about, you know, him in the court of, of Fir'aun, and we don't see the build-up and we don't see the, 
the different camera angles, right? We don't see, for example, when he's relating to Prophet Musa in Surah Taha, for example, all the favors he bestowed on him, and then he does a flashback to when he was a baby and his mother threw him in the river, right? We don't see these devices that Allah is using actual literary devices that you see in, in plays and poetry and, you know, because it's not studied in that way. Mm. But when you study it like that, you totally understand why it's a linguistic miracle. Um, on your website, you've got this, and uh, hopefully all our, our viewers, listeners can actually go to the website. It's Arabic, spelt with a Q, dot online. Dot com. Uh, no dot com, just no, online. Okay, Arabic with a Q uh, dot online is the website. Um, and on that, on the website, you've got a blog where you've picked out these words. And it's very nice. You've picked out certain words and you've translated them and what part of the Quran I think they're in. And you've done the Quranic words. Um, I want to ask you, I mean, this is a difficult question maybe to ask even like, not what would be your favorite word, but what word do you come across maybe and you, you came across and you thought, wow, you know, such a beautiful word and it has so many meanings. That's in the Quran. Oh my God, that's a hard one. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's it's amazing. You've, you've done this um, on your blog. Mm. Uh, there's some really nice words. There are some, I mean, there's some amazing words in the Quran. I love, I love the verb, iqsha'arra, like, taqsha'arra juluduhum, right? Yeah. You know, that. How would you translate this? You know, it's like they've got goosebumps. Goosebumps, yeah. Right? But it's like to, to even, even the word itself is so beautiful, taqsha'arra, mm. right? It's like you've got unique words like that, but even words like tadabbur, for mm. example, right? Some people ask, what's the difference between tafakkur and tadabbur, you know? Yeah. And... When you look at when you look at the meaning and the fact that Allah uses tadabbur only with the Quran, right? He uses afalayatadabbarun al-Quran, right? And you think, well, why? You know, Not th- and it's translated as reflect, ponder, yeah. right? Tafakkur, reflect, ponder, contemplate. But really, when you look at tadabbur, the fact that the root is dubur, right? It's dabara, it's what's behind something, mm. right? So Allah's asking tadabbur is to look behind the surface. To look underneath the surface, to think, okay, well, what's what's under this? What's the meaning of this? What's the depth of this ayah, right? To look behind something, not just the uh, surface value. And you think that the word contemplate, reflect, ponder doesn't doesn't capture this sense it's of so looking beyond, mm. you know. So I love I love I love the fact that Arabic has these roots, you know. Yeah. You look at the word subhan, again, it's like so much meaning mm. in just a word that we say as dhikr, like, yeah. you know, we just translate it as glory be. glory be. But what does that even mean? You know, you look at subhan, it comes from sabaha, which is to swim, mm. right? To swim or to float. Yeah. You know, and that when we say subhanallah, it's like Allah floats above everything. Anything you think of, Allah is above. Anything wow. you think of, Allah is above, you know? Subhanallah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, you know, the, the 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 words that are in the Quran, you know, some of them are mutaharrik, like you know, maybe what what comes to mind would be, you know, um, one I always use actually as an example is when the messenger called upon his, I think, companions, and again I'm paraphrasing the translation of this verse, and Allah says, "Ittaqaltum," 
Yeah. And, I, and someone gave me a, a really nice explanation of this word. You know, he said that, that, that some of the companions they they became heavy in their movement. And he said, to, you know, when you tell maybe your child, go do your homework, or you know, go tidy your room, and they start walking slowly and they don't want to do it, but they don't want to say I don't want to do it. That they become heavy in their movement. Yeah. He said that's exactly, it. and that's what makes I think. The Arabic of the Quran. You can't do that with any maybe other language, can no, you? You can't. You can't that from the same root, mm. just one letter. You know, just an extra shadda and an extra alif, and the meaning becomes you know extra. And yeah, definitely. And this is what makes Arabic, you know, unique, and yeah. hence why Allah Subhanahu wa Taala used. Have you ever thought about um, translating the Quran yourself? To do a translation? No, I don't think I'd have the guts. <laughs> I'd I'd love to one day, but the you know one of the one of the. I wouldn't ever. I think the people who've translated or attempted to translate the Quran, may Allah bless them. They've all attempted to do a wonderful job. I don't think it's a fault of theirs that the translation's lacking, right? I don't think it's the translators who are who are lacking. It's just a language that's difficult to express. Accurately in English, mm -hmm. so for example, one of the one of the translators whose translation is used very much in academia um, because it flows quite effortlessly is Muhammad Abdul Halim, mm. and he was one of my professors okay. when I was studying in SOAS. So we've seen the process that he went through, the painstaking process to you know research and to to translate the Quran, um, and there's so much that goes into it. I don't even think I'd be qualified to be honest to translate it because it's not just the knowledge of the language you need, you know, and the sarf and nahu and arab and all the rest of it, but even you know asbab and nuzul, the 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 reasons for revelation, and you know all of the all of the Quranic sciences that go beyond that. You do not you need to know that you to need translate to know a lot more just to translate. It's not just conveying meaning from language to language, mm. which I do with other books. Right, yeah. I translate other books, but with the Quran, I feel like it's it would be such a huge responsibility that right now I do not feel qualified to. I'm sure you get asked this a, a lot. What's the best Quran English translation that people maybe maybe refer to? So I think it depends on what the aims are. Mm. There are some good translations out there. Um, there's one by Ali Quli Qara'i, a okay. phrase by phrase English translation. So that's pretty good because you can see, you know. You can see the match because he does it phrase by phrase. That's mm. really good. Um, there's one called the Clear Quran. Mm -hmm. um, that's pretty good. Um, there are there are good ones, but again, it's it's the Arabic is so nuanced that it's not kind of translatable, right? Mm -hmm. It's the untranslatability of of Arabic is what makes it like that. Uh, you mentioned your publications. Uh, how do you make time for that? I, I know you. I mentioned uh, at the start the fifty Quranic comforts for mums. Uh, how do you make time to publish books? So those tell us about your, the, the, the first book or fifty. So, so fifty Quranic comforts for mums. I wrote that uh, about three years ago, and that was actually I didn't write it all in one go. Okay, that was the result of my tadabbur. Mashallah. So, you know, t especially when I was going through a hard time in my parenting, you know, I'd sit after Fajr, open the Quran, have a good cry and, you know, 
just think about the ayat and what you know what I could get from it and the comfort that they brought me and I would write you know I'd just write my thoughts and things like that and then it was actually the publisher herself sister Tahseen who approached me and said you know let's write a parenting book you know would you be interested and I was like oh no I you know there's so many parenting books out there you know how would this be different and she had this, this idea to, to, to do it around the Quran so not necessarily I said you know I'm, I'm not an expert on parenting I feel like I'm winging it every day you know but I, I feel like I'm making it up as I go along and she was like no but you you know you've done work on the Quran and things and could we put something together in this kind of format and um, so Alhamdulillah we did and it's basically sharing my experiences but with a lens of the ayat of the Quran um, and encouraging sisters so there's space there for their own thoughts and their own journaling within the book and encouraging them to draw their lessons from those ayat um, so that was done over a period of a few years and kind of Mashallah. compiled together and then the that book's available on your website as well if not people on my want to website. purchase oh okay it's available from Sun Behind the Cloud Publications okay um, so directly from there or Amazon or oh, Amazon okay so inshallah our viewers if you're interested uh, especially the mums uh, it's 50 Quranic comforts for mums that's mm -hmm. available on Amazon and on Sun Behind the Cloud yeah. publications and with your other publications I've noticed you translated a lot of work yeah so the rest are all translations you, okay so people approached you to translate their works or did you actually pick these books how the, the, pub, uh, the no, publishers most, most of them were just by the publishers themselves oh, okay um, so a few of them are with ICAST Press, a few with AMI Press, um, but it was just, I felt very privileged in that I got to immerse myself, but they're mainly ahadith books. Mm. I got to immerse myself in the ahadith from my heritage and the last one was a tafsir work. Tafsir al-Ayashi. Yeah. So that, that was incredible. Just, just to translate something from the time of Ghaybat al-Sughra. Amazing. Right? Something so classical and so old was just amazing. Um, I do some translation work of sometimes Arabic into English. I find that quite not easy, but it's, it's easier than doing <laughs> than doing English to Arabic. Um, so it's if I, sometimes it's usually videos where I'd have to translate, you know, someone speaking in, in, in Arabic and usually it's in a, a Iraqi dialect or specific dialect that I know and then into English and I find it not so difficult but to do it the other way around I find it very difficult what how which one's easier for you yeah so I don't even attempt English to Arabic because oh you don't attempt English to Arabic sometimes at the odd document or something I'll do um, mm. but we were taught when I did you know studies and translation the rule of thumb is you always translate into your most comfortable language. So you translate into your mother tongue or your the language you're most comfortable but in. But English should be your English, most comfortable, yeah. yeah. So translating the other way okay. is not considered good practice. So for okay. me to translate into Arabic hmm. when that's not my mother tongue shouldn't be done. You know, okay. so You haven't tried. I have. Okay. I have. You know, again, the odd subtitles here or there or documents here and there. Things that are, you know, easy and normal, that's okay. fine. But not like a hadith book <laughs> oh, no. in, in, from English to Arabic. There'd be no need. There'd right? be no need, yeah. yeah. You're right. And m most probably it's in Arabic itself. 
Well, um, I've enjoyed um, this podcast. Um, I'll advise. The course is only for women so it's, at the moment. It is only for women simply because I feel that there there's a lot out there for brothers already. Okay. And I would assume that brothers would want to learn from a brother rather than a sister. So it is targeted and marketed towards women. But I do have brothers on the course who study with their wives. So I Mashallah. don't have a problem with couples learning together. It's it's a good thing if that, you know, something like that, that for a husband and wife to do together. So I have no problem with that. But yes, it's it's marketed at women. Well, inshallah, the women listening to us um, and the couples. So maybe the brothers can encourage the, their wives if, they, if they're interested to learn Quranic Arabic. And this is what makes this um, course unique. The fact that it's not just Arabic, that, you know, what to order at a restaurant or but rather um, help you to understand the Quran. Uh, you know, I sometimes tell people from our community, how long do you spend reciting Quran on a weekly basis? And it's always a short time. And when I ask why, they respond, you know, I'm not understanding what I'm reading. So I feel, why should I? But then imagine if you understand what you're reading, you'll probably spend more time reciting. So inshallah, uh, they can visit your website Arabic with a Q dot online uh, and sign up to one of your courses. Is there different courses, different levels? So the, there is. So the main course is actually split into four levels. So we, okay. I call it four quests um, and they progress through them. So uh, currently I'm just in the middle of making some improvements to the to, to the flagship course. So it's closed for enrollment, but inshallah I'm planning to reopen for enrollment um, around the middle of February. So, okay. so right now there's a waiting list on the website, but they just fill in the waiting, get themselves on the waiting list. They'll hear about when it opens. And are you thinking about going back and teaching uh, physical or do you think you're going to stick, no, stick to online? No, I'd love to. No, I miss that. I miss the contact with okay. my students. So, inshallah. Because, you know, COVID's been difficult for, uh, for a lot of people. And, you know, I've realized some of our activities that we used to do in our community centers uh, in a physical form even though things are improving people are still sticking to online yeah um and i don't think that's a good idea no no i definitely there's 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 a there's a, a sweetness and you know in being with each other and being in a, in the same physical space well nazmina thank you for joining us Pleasure. on this podcast i always say that i i prefer to do the podcast um physically with the person with the guest that's why i have never done online podcasts and that's why we took a break during COVID, you know, because it was difficult getting um, guests in. Uh, so I'd like to thank you. I know Pleasure. you took like literally an hour or so away from your one and a half year old child. No so thank you for making time. You're um, thank you for we, me. May Allah bless you and uh, may the Quran be with you all the time. And I'm sure the Quran will be inshallah with you and the hereafter. Inshallah as for us all. For us all thank you.